Last week we saw the first half of like the burning bush story. And uh, whether you're familiar with uh, the Bible or with Moses' story, you've probably heard of the burning bush. And so we saw the first part of that story last week. God appears to Moses, tells him that he's been chosen to go and tell Pharaoh God's plan to free the Israelites. We saw that this call on Moses' life was too big. It was bigger than anything Moses wanted. And Mark said that the reason that God calls Moses to something bigger than himself is to remind Moses that it's not about Moses. It's about God. And God does that in our own lives as well. That's why God calls us to do things that we're not comfortable with. Uh, because it's not about us. Life, I, I don't know about you guys. You guys are probably more selfless than me. But it's really easy for me to just think life is about me. To just, well, I'm not happy and therefore life isn't good right? We, we become self-centered, and God calls us to things that are bigger than us. And I've, I've been reminded of this in very real, very tangible, and very uncomfortable ways in my life recently. And I know that many of you here today feel the same thing. Perhaps you're facing, uh, what you're facing in your life feels cruel, it feels unfair, it feels too much. But I pray that the story of Moses this morning, last week and this morning, as we kind of look at the second half of that burning bush story, that you are comforted in your soul, that the God of the universe is with you this morning. Uh, we are, like I said, going to finish up that story. So if you want to, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Exodus chapter 3. We'll be in verses 12 to 22. That's where we'll be uh, camped out for the most part. And looking at that, that second story. But before we, we jump into that, has anyone ever asked for a sign before? Yes, a few of you. Okay, good, 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 good. This is a good start. Um, yeah, we, like, there are moments of desperation where we have no idea what we're supposed to be doing, if we're doing the right thing, and we just call out to God, God, give me a sign. Let me know I'm on the right track. Just tell me what to do. Uh, maybe you have a, a difficult decision where there are two or more than two choices in front of you and both of them seem right and seem good, but you can't have both of them. Or maybe you have two choices in front of you and they both seem wrong or difficult and I don't want to do either of these things, but you know you have to make a decision. And so we ask God for a sign. <clears throat> maybe you're you've made a decision and you're living your life and you're kind of going through the motions and you have your family, you have your job and you feel like you've made right choices in your life. That God has presented you with things and you've chosen what God would want you to choose, but you're not seeing the benefits that you thought would come with that decision. And so you cry out, God, show me I'm doing the right thing. If I need to change course, I will. Just sh give me a sign. But we've all felt that desperate moment where we just feel like we need God to show up and to give me a sign. And that, that's where Moses finds himself this morning. Well, not this morning, but in the story this morning. <clears throat> Moses finds himself asked to take a step of faith to do something that he is not comfortable doing. Moses has been out of Egypt for 40 years. His time there has been a failure. He's been uh, rejected by his people, the Israelites. He's been rejected by his adopted people, the Egyptians. And he has, he feels like there's no place for him 
in Egypt. He's comfortable where he's at. And God is calling him to step out into faith. And he feels like he's going to need a sign before he leaves. Uh, Moses is going to need a lot of faith. He's going to need a sign. And as I was thinking about this, I was brought back to my daughter's soccer practice. Um, I, I thought about trying to tell you that Moses was like Israel's soccer coach, but the analogy fell apart pretty soon. But I was at uh, Riley's soccer practice. She's six. She just started playing soccer. Do we have soccer parents here with us this morning? Yeah, you can clap for yourself um, or your kids or whoever you're clapping for. Uh, I went to one of her practices pretty early on in the year. And if you've watched five and six-year-olds play soccer before, it, it's exciting because it's your kid. But that's probably one of the f- only reasons why it's exciting. It's not exactly the highest level of soccer. And it can be painful to watch at times. And so they had played a, a few games, and we, I take Riley to the practice, and as I'm watching the game, I was like, oh, man, they're, they can't change direction at all. Like, they just get the ball, the goal's over here, and they just go that way. Um, and so they, they need to work on that, and they don't pass it. You have the ball, and you have it until you kick it out of bounds. They need to work on that. And I'd, like, made this checklist of things that they need to work on. And sure enough, the coach must have had the same checklist because as I'm watching the practice, he's going through these drills, and he's explaining them to the girls, and I'm like, coach, you've got it. Like, yeah, like, I'm happy for you, coach. You're, you're doing a good job. And then I look to the girls, and they're tickling each other. They're, <laughs> they're kicking the, each other's soccer ball away from each other. They're dancing. They're picking at grass. They're yelling at their mom what they want to eat after practice is done. Like, they're not paying attention at all. And I'm like, you are missing some good information. This, this is the stuff that you need. This is why you're here. And the coach was so great and just stuck with it. And, I mean, he must have repeated himself at least a 100 times without exaggeration during that practice. And as I'm, I'm sitting in that, I'm like, man, like, he's got to wonder, is what I'm doing even working? Like, is this even worth it? Is, I feel like I've got a good plan, but does it matter? Is it getting through to these kids? And we've all seen, we've watched the World Cup, we've watched Premier League Soccer or whatever it is. You've watched older kids play soccer. Eventually, they get it, right? We know that eventually, some don't and they just stop playing, but eventually they get it. But they all were those five and six-year-olds who were just picking grass, tickling each other and kicking the ball. And so, To coach five- and six-year-old girls soccer, you need a lot of faith that this is going to work eventually, that I might not see the signs. I may not know them in 12 years when they're high school seniors and star of their soccer team. I may never get to see that, but I have to coach by faith that what I'm doing is good and is right. And that is so much of life, that so often we want a sign But God says, you'll know, you'll know, just keep going, just keep going by faith. We're in a relationship, a job, some other circumstance, and we feel like we're flying blind. We just want a sign to know we're doing the right thing. But more times than not, that sign doesn't come in the midst of our confusion and our blindness. That sign comes years down the road, and you're like, oh, 
it worked. Something stuck. Parents, you've probably felt that. What the heck am I doing? These kids are the worst. Uh, And then, hopefully, that changes. And at some point, they start repeating your words back to you. And you're like, wait, what? You, You were listening to that? Teachers, you've had this experience before as well, I'm sure. But the question is why. The question I have is why. Why is life like this? We serve a God who we believe is all-powerful and all-knowing. God should be able to let us know. Why does so much of life have to be a call to walk by faith and not by sight? Why can't we just get a roadmap? Why can't we just get a sign every once in a while that you're on the right path, you're doing the right thing? Why are we called to faith? I think Moses' story can help us understand that a little bit better. So let's start in verse 12 of chapter 3. And remember, in verse 11, where we ended last week, Moses has just said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And in verse 12, we see God's response. Verse 12 says, And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain. So Moses says, who am I that I should go? Moses hears the call of God and he responds in fear and in doubt. Who am I that I should go? And God responds with a promise. Awesome. Thank you, God. A promise and a sign to boot. Thank you. Like, this is just what Moses needs to instill confidence in himself. A promise from God and a sign. So it starts out great. I will be with you. Awesome. I don't want to go alone. I'm glad you're coming with me. And this will be the sign that it is I who sent you. Awesome. I need a sign to be encouraged. When you get there, When you're done, when you bring the people out of Egypt, this is the sign. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Wait, what? That's the thing I don't want to do. And you're telling me that the sign is when I'm done, I'll know it was the thing I was supposed to do. I don't know if God knows how signs work. But that's not how signs work. We want to know that as I'm doing it, before I do it, as I'm doing, I want to know that I am there. Imagine if your GPS gave you no directions, but once you got there, it said you have arrived. Destination on your left. (laughs) That would not be helpful at all. And that's what God does to Moses. He says, this is what you have to do. Well, can I get a sign? Sure. When you're done, you'll know you did the right thing. That's not helpful to Moses. We know, sitting where we are, that there are more signs along the way. Uh, There are the ten plagues. There's Moses' staff turning into a snake and eating uh, Pharaoh's staff, which also turned into a snake. So there are, like, so many more signs than just that sign. But Moses doesn't know that. Moses doesn't have this story. And he's like, all right, God, that's the sign. Cool. Like, he's like, what? Like, that, that's not enough. For me. God doesn't give Moses a roadmap. He doesn't give him step-by-step directions. Later, as the Israelites come out, God leads the Israelites by a pillar of cloud and fire at night. 
That doesn't happen to Moses as he's going in to Egypt. He doesn't have that assurance with him. God doesn't give Moses a roadmap. Instead, he gives him an invitation to faith. God gives Moses an invitation to faith. And as I read this story, I realize that so much of my life is not a roadmap. So much of my life is not do this, do this, do this. Look here and you'll know if you're in the right place. I don't get that. I get an invitation to faith. And an invitation to faith is grace. Grace being a good, free gift that we don't deserve. Faith is grace. When God invites us to faith, he is doing us an undeserved favor. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If we never had faith, if we just had to follow directions, God would not be pleased with that. And so God calls us to faith, calls us to things that are bigger than us without the ending in view, without, trust me, this will work out. This is exactly how it will work out. We just get an invitation to follow me, to listen to my voice, to do what I've called you to do. And we want a sign, but a lot of times the sign is when you are done doing what I've called you to do, you will worship me. Have you experienced that? I've experienced that in my life where I've walked down a path and thought, this can't be right. This can't be right. God, why do you have me here? And then when it's done, praise God. That was so good. That was awesome. That was better than I could have imagined. That's what God is calling Moses here to. God calls Moses to faith. And why? For the reasons that we talked about last week. Stepping out of his comfort zone, Responding to this call will allow for Moses to remind him that this isn't about him. This isn't about Moses' popularity with the Egyptians or the Israelites. This isn't about Moses' ability to motivate a large group of people. This isn't about Moses' leadership skills or his aptness for the job in any meaningful way. This is about the freedom from needing to be qualified. Moses felt like, I'm not qualified. And God says, I know. And you can do it anyway because I am going with you. This is about serving a God who is powerful enough to work beyond Moses' skill set. At this point in Moses' life, nothing pointed to Moses being capable, being a capable, or even a worthwhile leader. Every attempt to lead has failed, and he's found himself in the wilderness as a shepherd. But faith, faith allows us to live into things that we know are true because God says they're true, even when they don't look true. Faith allows us to live into things that we know are true, even when they don't look true. God tells Moses, you are going to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and you will worship me with them on this mountain. Do you know when in Moses' story that looks true? It's a ways down the road. It's not right away. He doesn't show up and Pharaoh's like, I've been expecting you. Here are your people. Uh, That's not how that works. There are a lot of bumps and obstacles. Before God's promise looks true, it looks really false. And Moses has to walk 
by faith. And that's what faith allows us to do. To believe that what God says is true, even when it doesn't look true. During the civil rights movement, uh, John Lewis said, you have to believe that what you're fighting for is already done. Your job is to make it happen. And I love that quote. You have to believe that what you're fighting for is already done. Your job is to make it happen. Isn't that the call of following God in our lives? That what God says is done is done. All you have to do is live into it. All you have to do is make it real. God is telling Moses that your people are already free. Now go and make that their reality. Moses had to believe it was done. God said it, so it was going to happen. His job was just to make it happen. So let's see how Moses responds to this sign in verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So, First of all, Moses just ignores the sign that God gave. Because I think Moses, like me, is like, that's not a good sign. That's not how signs work, God. So let's move on to the next one. And Moses moves on to another disqualification. Remember last week in verse 11, God gives Moses the call, and Moses says, who am I? And God's response to that we saw in verse 12, I will go with you. It doesn't matter who you are, I am going with you with you. And so Moses says, okay, then who are you? Who are you? God never corrects Moses when he says, who am I? Moses says, I'm not qualified for this. I'm not good enough. I don't know if you remember the last time I was in Egypt, that did not end well. And it's not going to end well again. They don't want me to be there. God doesn't go point by point and say, well, you see, this is what God doesn't correct Moses is thinking that he's not good enough. God answers, I am going with you. When Moses ran from his call in Egypt, he also ran from his God. He has disqualified himself because he knows too much about himself. He's had 40 years to replay over and over and over and over again all the reasons He's not good enough. And many of you have done that. You failed in the past. You've run from your troubles, and now you're replaying over and over and over again. I'm not good enough. God can't use me. The last time I tried, I failed. I made things worse than they were before. And so then when God calls us, we respond like Moses. Now Moses has disqualified himself, and now he wants to move to disqualify God, the one who is sending him. He says, I'm not good enough. God says, I'm going with you. And he says, well, who are you? When they ask me, who has sent me? Who should I tell them has sent me? He now disqualifies God because he doesn't know how great his God is. When he ran away from his call in Egypt, he ran away from God. And he spent 40 years in the wilderness forgetting about the God that saved him. The God of Israel. He feels He has forgotten God and probably feels like if God is there, he has forgotten his people. If you feel unqualified to handle 
the things that God has placed in your life like Moses did, I'm not qualified for this. If you feel like you're being stretched beyond your limits and you say, I can't do that, that's beyond me, you may have accurately examined yourself. You might be right that you're not good enough, that you can't do what God has put in front of you. But I can tell you that if you let that disqualify you, then you have incorrectly assessed the power of God. That Moses says, I'm not good enough. And God says, you're right, but I'm going with you. I am enough. And so if you feel like you're not good enough, God may correct you and say, you can handle this. But God may say, you're right, but I am with you. You may very well be right that you are not able to handle the things that God has placed before you. You may cry out to God in desperation and say, Lord, I can't handle what you are giving me. Who am I that you should ask me to do this? God's answer will be the same as it was to Moses. I am with you. I can handle this. I can do this through you. We may ask for a sign. And the sign is when you're done, you will worship me. Let us not forget how great our God is. We can, God gives us, like Mark said last week, God does give us more than we can handle. Because we need to be reminded of how great and how good and how powerful our God is. What Moses is learning in this moment, what God is calling Moses to understand, what God is asking the people of Israel to learn in this story. And what you need to be reminded of this morning is what God tells the Apostle Paul. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that he cries out to God and asks for something to be removed from him, that he has something in his life that is too much for him to handle. And God replies and says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Moses is just learning this. That weakness is where we want to be. That is so contrary to everything we want in life. That we want to feel comfortable. We want to feel strong. We want to feel safe. And God is calling Moses and is calling us out of that comfort zone and out of that safety. And we see this truth play out all through scripture. We have it here in Moses. We have a failed attempt at uh, standing up for his people that caused him to run and hide for 40 years. Now he's unwilling to go. And we know how this story ends. That part of that is Moses leading the people of Israel across dry land as the Red Sea parts. We know that Moses stepped into his weakness and there God was shown to be strong. One of my favorite stories, probably because I'm David, is David's story. And David and Goliath is a story that was read to me since I was a little boy. And we have this story of this, the, younger, the youngest of seven brothers, this another lowly shepherd like Moses finds himself being, who is thrust into this role to stand up for God. He wasn't strong enough. He wasn't good enough to be a soldier. He was good enough to watch the sheep and to deliver lunch. That's what he was strong enough to do. And when he shows up and he sees that his God is being defied by this giant, he says, nobody's going to do anything about this. I'm going to do something about this because God's going to do something about this through me. And in David's weakness, God is shown again to be strong. A few hundred years after that story, there's this girl, this young teenage girl, who finds out that she's pregnant. 
the Spirit of the Lord shows up to her and says, you will bear the Messiah, the Christ. You will call him Jesus. I can only imagine the weakness that she felt in that moment. Who am I? I don't even have a husband. How can I have a child? And not just any child. Raising children is hard. Raising the Messiah? Like, I'm not qualified for that. And God shows up in the person of Jesus, a baby, born amongst the animals. We know that in the life of Jesus, weakness became power. That same Jesus teaches in Matthew 5 this section called the Beatitudes. And he tells us that blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers and the persecuted. These are all positions of weakness by our world standard. But God says through Jesus that in this weakness, you are strong, you are blessed, you are in the advantageous position. Elsewhere, Jesus says that if anyone wants to be great in his kingdom, they must be servant of all. Jesus was telling us that in your weakness, my power can shine through. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. You know that you are weak. A lot of us act like we're strong. We like to put up big fronts. But you know this to be true in your life. You know that you are not enough for the things that, in, that are in your life. And we have all faced and are facing things that we feel like we are not qualified to handle. We feel like we're drowning. That I can't take one more thing, God, that this is far too big for me. But God asks you to do more than you can do on your own so that his power can be perfected in your weakness. God invites you to walk by faith because that is grace. God invites you to do more than you could ever do by yourself because that is how you will experience his grace and his power. A friend reminded me just this week that if you want to see God move in your life, if you want your faith to grow, then you should expect to feel weak. That weakness should be an, expe an expectation for the Christian. That if you are always feeling strong and comfortable, then you are probably ignoring the voice of God in your life. That Moses felt comfortable as a shepherd. He knew how to do that. He had gotten that down. 40 years of experience at his job. He's like, I, I'm good at this. I can take the sheep to eat. I can take them back home. I can keep them safe. I can give them haircuts. This is easy. They don't talk back to me. Like, I am comfortable here. And God called him to something else. And he wanted to feel strong. He felt strong as a shepherd. The first, if you remember the first story as Moses runs away from Egypt, he sees these shepherdesses, these ladies who are shepherding their flocks, and these guys come and try to intimidate them, and Moses steps in for them, and he's the hero. He's the strong man. He's found a place where he is strong, and he is comfortable, and he doesn't want to leave. We do the same thing. We find our comfort zone, we find where we're strong, and we want to stay there. And if you are doing that, then God's power is not being shown in your life. We avoid things when we feel like we'll be shown as weak, when we won't be comfortable. But as Paul says, God's power is perfected 
in your weakness. Paul then goes on to say that because of that, because God's power is shown through my weakness, I will glory in my weakness. How different is that than what we do? We shrink away from our weaknesses. We cover up our weaknesses. We overcompensate for our weaknesses by trying to act tough or strong. Paul says, no, I will glory in my weaknesses. Jesus says we are blessed. Paul says we should glory in our weakness. Weakness, trials, feeling stretched beyond your limits and beyond your means. This is not something that we just endure. Okay, there's a moment of trial. There's a moment of weakness. And I'll go through this for a little bit, but I, I'm aiming for feeling comfortable. That's so much of our life, right, is that one day I'll get it. One day I'll get it. And we just, we strive after feeling comfortable, like we have all of life wrapped up in our arms and we can handle it. And then I feel like people start to feel disillusioned because you never get there. You never feel like you're strong enough. You never feel like you have enough. Weakness is not something we should just endure and then return to the ease of life. Weakness for the follower of Jesus is life. We should be living in weakness. That God should be calling you to something that makes you feel weak and uncomfortable, just like he did for Moses. We know what we can handle. So when God calls us to something, we ask, who am I? Just like Moses did. Who am I, Lord, that you would ask me to do this? Will people listen to me? Like, who am I to go and talk to that person? They don't listen to what I have to say. Isn't there someone better, someone more influential, someone who could, is more eloquent with words, someone who could do a better job than me? Who am I? Why are you asking me? And then if God answers like he did to Moses and says, don't worry, I'm going with you, we fall right into the trap that Moses fell into. And we say, well, who are you? Who are you to call me to this thing? Who are you to go with me? They don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. In practical terms, we have felt that before, that God has called us to a place and we know the truth of God's word, that God will go with you. But we don't care. We want a sign. We don't want to be stretched. We want to feel comfortable and strong. When we are called to remain faithful in helpless situations where everything is out of our control, we cry out to God, take this from me. Watching a loved one battle a sickness or act in self-destructive ways. We feel weak, so we ask, who are you? Sometimes it's in defiance and in frustration, and God understands that and God welcomes that challenge. But sometimes when we call out to God, we just want to know that God is good. And that he is strong. We want to be reminded of what we sang this morning. That Lord you are good. You are good. And you will never let me down. We want to, so we ask God who are you? Who's asking me to do this? Is this from you? Because you are good. And you will never let me down. But I need you to show up. I need you to remind me of who you are. Who is calling me to this. So that's the challenge that Moses has put before God. And let's see how God responds in verses 14 through 22. God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Who is God? Who are you? Who is the one who is sending Moses? And who is the one who is calling you this morning to walk through the hardships of life? He is the great I am. He tells Moses, I am who I am. And that might just sound like some Yoda gibberish speak or something. But Moses asks for a name to be given and God says, I am or Yahweh. And Yahweh is a play off of the verb to be. I am. So here God is saying, I am the self-sustaining one. I am. And I always have been. No one has created me. No one has power over me. Nothing makes me exist. I make me exist. I am. The all-creating one. The source of everything. The one without need. The one who does and can do all things. I am. And so we see that God gives him a name. And this is the first time in scripture that we have a name for God, for God naming himself. And when he says, tell the people that I am have sent you, I wonder if the people in Egypt, the Israelites that are in Egypt, if they had already known the name of God. This is the first time that we have seen it. This is the first time Moses has heard it and is writing it down. But Moses has been gone for a long time. Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh. He didn't hear the same stories that the rest of the Israelites would have heard. And so he's given a name that everyone else would recognize. I am. This is who I am to, God, to your people, to my people. The great I am, the creator of everything. We have a, a long period of Hebrew oppression in slavery in Egypt. And so I think something else is going on here too when God says, I am. The Israelites have been crying out to God and surely some have wondered, if not drawn the conclusion that God has left, that he is gone, that he doesn't care anymore. He's become powerless. Whatever the case may be in practical terms, they have certainly believed that God is not. That God is not. 
And so when Moses asks for a name, and he goes to his people with that name, he declares, I am. That I remember my people. That it seems like I have been gone, I have been afar, that I have left, but I am. I am here. In the Gospel of John, John records Jesus making seven I am statements. And I think those can help us to understand what God is saying when he says, I am. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And so when Jesus plays off of that I am statement, I think it unpacks for us what the Israelites would have heard. We see that God is the source of life. He's the one who gives life, creates life. He's also the one who sustains life. He's the one who cares for his people like a good shepherd. That he has power over death and over life. All of this is contained in God declaring himself Yahweh. I am. He is telling his people that he alone is the one who gives and sustains life. He alone is the one who cares for his creation and can give his people what they need. When God asked Moses to go, he's not going under his own authority or his own power. He's going under the power of the great I am. And when God calls you to fight the battles that are in your life, to face the things that you don't want to face, to deal with the circumstances that are too big for you, he's not asking you to do it in your own power or in your own authority, he's saying, I am with you. I am the bread of life, the light of the world. I, am, I have power over resurrection, or over life and over death. I am the true vine, that your life is found in me, that we go under the authority of the great I am, just like Moses did. Faith, what Moses is being called to, faith is Grace. This invitation to step out into faith is a gift that is given to Moses. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, you will not grow. So when God invites Moses to something he is not qualified to do, does not have the reputation to do, does not have the skills or the confidence to pull off, it's an invitation to grow. It's an invitation to see God work. When Jesus calls you to something you're not qualified, calls you to do something that you don't have the reputation to do, calls you to do something that you don't have the confidence to pull off, he's inviting you into grace, to have faith in the great I am, to know that you are not alone, but that God is going with you. As Paul says, Elsewhere in the book of Ephesians, he says that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is by grace you are saved through faith. That's the formula. That's how we experience salvation. That was the formula in Exodus. That's the formula in 2019. So when Jesus asks you to have faith, it is a gift of grace because that is what will lead to your salvation to your ultimate salvation, that when you come to know Christ as your Savior, when you commit your life to him, that is an act of grace done through faith. But in the little areas of your life, 
the little chapters of your life where you need saving, where you feel like you're in trouble, where you're in over your head, the formula is the same. Faith, which is a gift of grace. That's how we receive salvation. Faith allows us to live into the things that God says are true, even when they don't look true. God told Moses he would walk out of Egypt with the Israelites and the Egyptians' wealth. When the Israelites' workload was increased, it didn't look true. When Pharaoh continually backed off of his promise to let the people go, it didn't look true. When the Israelites were staring at the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was coming after them, God's promise did not look true. But faith said, we're going to keep going. Faith parted the Red Sea. When Jesus invites you to put your faith in him, his promises don't always look true. When Jesus says that the old is gone and the new has come, that doesn't look true. But Jesus invites us to faith. Jesus calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. He doesn't do this to torture you, to make you feel bad. He does this because this is the only way that you can grow. This is the only way that you will grow dependent on God. This is the only way that you will see real, true power in your life. We're told that we have been crucified with Christ and that we have been resurrected with him, that we are no longer slaves to sin. Instead, we are slaves to righteousness. I'm not qualified to stand before you this morning and say that I am dead to sin. I don't have the confidence to pull that off. I don't have a reputation that says I consistently walk in newness of life, but I have faith that that is true, that the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross is done. And all I have to do is make it real. All I have to do is live into it. Faith calls me to believe that what I'm fighting for is already done. I just have to live like it's true. That's what God is calling you to this morning. The work of Christ is done. It is complete. That the old is gone. The new has come. That we do not need to fear the world because God has overcome the world. That work is done. You just have to live like it's true.